Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. You know, when a promise is kept, it's a marvelous thing, isn't it? I think upon one of the most famous promises ever made in American history, it goes back to uh, March of uh, 1942, March 11th, in fact, when General Douglas MacArthur was ordered by the President of the United States to leave the Philippine Islands, where he was the commanding officer in charge of 90,000 Uh, Filipino and American soldiers who were trying to defend the island against the Japanese invasion. But as they analyzed the invasion that was about to fall upon the island, it looked certain that the islands were going to fall to the Japanese. MacArthur was determined to stay with his troops to the very end and work with them in defense of the Philippines. But uh, his commanding officers and the president himself said, you are too valuable to the overall war effort for us to lose you now. We need you to leave. You're ordered to evacuate. And so under protest, uh, MacArthur and his family got into a PT boat and, and fled the Philippine Islands, eventually making it all the way to Australia. And from Australia, he broadcast a message back to the Philippines that said, I have come through and I shall return. It was that promise uh, that was uh, to give hope to the people of the Philippines for the next two and a half years. And it was on October 20th, 1944, that the tide had turned in the Pacific and the Americans and the Allies were making advances uh, throughout the Pacific and eventually were prepared to retake the, the Philippine Islands from the Japanese. And it was that day, October 20th, 1944, that at the head of the invading army, MacArthur waded ashore and then broadcast again to the Philippine people, the people of the Philippines, this message. He said, people of the Philippines, I have returned. By the grace of Almighty God, Our forces stand again on Philippine soil, soil consecrated in the blood of our two peoples. We have come dedicated and committed to the task of destroying every vestige of enemy control over your daily lives and of restoring upon a foundation of indestructible strength the liberties of your people. I have returned. Well, having kept that promise, appreciation for General MacArthur continued to rise. In fact, by December of that year, he had been made a five-star general of the Army, one of only four men to attain that rank during World War II. As the uh, Supreme Commander of Allied Forces in the Pacific, it was his privilege uh, the next fall in September 1945 to receive the formal surrender of the Japanese uh, on the USS Missouri. 
And then he went immediately to his next assignment as the supreme commander for allied powers occupying Japan and was credited with the rebuilding of that nation after the war and is credited with the writing of the Japanese constitution, which is still in effect to this day. Douglas MacArthur's legacy was that of a promise keeper. And for that, he was duly appreciated around the world. A promise kept is a marvelous thing. And one who keeps his promises deserves to be appreciated. Well, today, the scriptures we're looking at remind us that nobody is better at keeping promises than our Lord. And yet, for all the promises the Lord has kept toward us, he often goes unappreciated, doesn't receive his due. All too often, God has done great things in my life for which I've barely given him thanks. And and when the next problem comes along, even with all that he's already done for me in the past, I have the audacity to complain that God isn't taking very good care of me. I wonder how many of us are like that businessman who was late for an important meeting. And he was having a hard time finding a parking place. He kept orbiting the block. And finally, he was so desperate, he prayed. He hadn't prayed in a long time. And he said, "Uh, Lord, have mercy on me. If you uh, find me a parking place, I promise that I'll go to church the rest of my life and, and I'll stop my drinking. Miraculously, a place opened up right in front of him. And he said, oh, forget about it, Lord, I just found one. When God comes through for us, we all too often don't give him his due. And that's why we need to look at Genesis 21 this morning, because in this passage, we see God deliver on a promise way bigger than MacArthur's I shall return. It's a promise 25 years in the making that will not only change the story of one family, but the history of the world. And not only that, but we see Abraham and Sarah responding to what was promised and and responding to to what God had done in entirely appropriate ways. In fact, their response to the Lord is instructive to us how, as to how we should respond when God keeps his promises, when God comes through for us. This passage is saying to those of us who sometimes fail to appreciate what God does, that when the Lord comes through, we need to give him his due. When the Lord comes through, we need to give him his due. Why don't you say that out loud with me this morning? When the Lord comes through, we need to give him his due. When the Lord acts on your behalf, don't let that moment pass. When God keeps his promise, don't say, oh yeah, but what have you done for me lately? When the Lord comes through, you've got to give him his due. So let's pick up the story of Abraham where we left off last week. You remember that God had visited Abraham and Sarah and told them that when I return about this time next year, Sarah is going to have a son. And, and that's a big deal because Sarah was 89 years old when that promise was made. And Abram, Abraham was 99 years old. Now, a lot happened in the course of that coming year. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And as we saw last week, probably in response to that, Abraham and Sarah moved a little bit farther to the west uh, into Philistine territory. And it was there that Abraham almost gave Sarah to another man to be his wife, to Abimelech, the king of of Philistia. But God intervened before anything happened in order to protect the integrity of God's promise. God wanted to be sure 
that there was no doubt that the child that was born would be Sarah and Abraham's child, just as he promised, not Sarah and Abimelech's son. And so with this disaster averted in chapter 20, we now come to chapter 21, and beginning at verse 1, it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. The text is making it clear that the Lord came through for Abraham and Sarah. Three times in these two verses, it's reinforced, right? So it starts off by saying, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Well, the Lord had said he would do that back in chapter 18, verse 10. The Lord had said a year before, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah laughed at the idea. She thought it was ridiculous, earning the Lord's rebuke. And in chapter 18, verse 14, where the Lord says to her, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, it's clear then that this, this promise was made, and now God has fulfilled that promise as the Lord had said, and then it goes on in verse 1 to say, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. So he did as he said, he did as he had promised, in spite of the seeming impossibility of it all, the Lord enabled Sarah in her old age to give Abraham a son. Verse 2 says that the son was born at the time of which God had spoken to him. So there it is a third time, reinforcing, look, God did just exactly as he said he would. Back in chapter 17, a year before this, Abraham had been operating under the assumption that Ishmael would be the recipient of God's promises, the son that, that Abraham had had by Hagar, the Egyptian maidservant of Sarah. But God said, no, you and Sarah will have a son about this time next year. And when you do, I want you to name him Isaac. He's the one through whom the covenant will pass. And it all happened at the time of which God had spoken to him. In case we didn't get it the first time, in two verses, the author of Genesis wants us to understand that the Lord came through. Three times, he says, God came through for Abram and Sarah exactly as he said he would. Now, it's important to note that though this specific promise had been made a year before, God had been talking to Abraham about this child for 25 years, right? It goes all the way back to when Abraham was 20, uh, 75 years old, back in chapter 12 and verse 2, and the Lord said, I will make you a great nation. Well, that implies that you're going to have a kid, right? You can't become a great nation if you don't have any descendants. And so 75, at the age of 75, 25 years before this, God had said, I will make you a great nation. When Abraham began to waver in, in wondering whether that was really going to happen, in chapter 13 and verse six, 16, the Lord reiterated, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. You're going to have so many offspring, Abraham, that you can't count them. Well, a few more years went by, and in chapter 15 uh, and verse 5, Abraham's complaining that, you know, is this ever going to happen? Am I ever going to have this son? Uh, maybe my, my servant Eliezer is going to have to be my heir. And God says, no, 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 no. You're going to have a son. Come outside and look up at the heavens. Count the stars if you can count them. So shall your offspring be. You're going to have so many offspring, it's going to be like the stars in the sky that you can't count. And then at age 86, you know, 10 more years or so have gone by, and Abram's become tired of waiting for God to finally 
get on with his project. And so he takes matters into his own hands and has a child by Hagar, the Egyptian. And he thinks that the problem is solved, only he's made it worse. And, and God says, no, he's not the one. So at age 99, God finally says in chapter 17, verse 6, I will bless Sarah, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. And here in chapter 21, after 25 years of waiting, God comes through. He fulfills his promise in a most outstanding fashion. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. The Lord came through. Can you think of a time in your life when the Lord came through for you? I think of some friends that Diane and I had years ago. They're both now in glory, but Creed and Marion Palmer were a godly couple. And, and Marion had a nephew named Rusty that, that they were concerned about. They began praying for Rusty, I guess, when he was probably just a, a kid praying that he would come to faith in Christ. And they would witness to Rusty from time to time, but Rusty didn't ever put his faith in Christ, so they kept praying and praying and praying. Finally, Marion went home to be with the Lord, and Creed kept praying for Marion's nephew, Rusty. Creed figures he prayed like 30 years for Rusty to come to faith in Christ. And finally, one night, he felt led of the Lord to go and visit Rusty and his family. And while there, he had an opportunity to share the gospel one more time with Rusty, with his whole family present. And guess what? They all put their faith in Jesus at the same time. After 30 years of praying for Rusty. Maybe you can look back on a time when God came through for you in a big way like that. Or maybe you're saying, boy, I sure wish he would. I, I could sure use him to come through for me. You're burdened about something and, and you, you've been praying about it and you're discouraged and tired of waiting for God to finally do something, but you haven't given up hope yet. And I tell you, keep clinging to his promises. Don't give up. Cling to his promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Cling to his promise that he will in all things work for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Cling to his promise that he will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Cling to his promise that he's preparing a place in heaven for you. Never lose hope that the Lord will come through for you. And in, in case you're inclined to think, you know, well, he's never come through for me before. Why should I expect for him to come through for me now? Let me remind you of the most spectacular way he has come through for us all. Because thousands of years ago, God promised Abraham that through one of his descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And God carefully protected and guided that family we now know as Israel. In 700 BC or so, it was a prophet of Israel named Isaiah who said, one day a virgin will conceive and bear a child who will be the savior of the world. Around you know, 500 some BC, another prophet of Israel said, oh, and that child will be born in a little town called Bethlehem. And again, Isaiah said, more than 700 years before Jesus ever showed up on the scene, that this, this Messiah would give his life in our place and pay for all our sin. A thousand years before Jesus ever showed up on the scene, David prophesied that God would not allow that Holy One to see decay, but would raise him from the dead. And guess what happened? The Virgin Mary had a baby boy. Guess where? In Bethlehem. 
He was God in human flesh, obedient to his father in every respect. He had no sin, but he went to a, a cross and he died, not for any sin of his own, but he paid for our sin. He stood in our place when he took our punishment. But on the third day, he was raised in power from the dead. And now all who believe in him can be forgiven of their sin, have new life in Christ and know that heaven is their home. God came through for us all where it counts most of all in the most spectacular way of all. So don't you dare say that God has never come through for you. He has come through for you in the most spectacular way you can ever imagine. He has fulfilled his promise to bring you salvation. And if he's already done that for you, can't you trust him to do whatever else you need? The Bible says you can. So God came through for Abraham and Sarah and God has come through for us all. And so it's only right that our text exhorts us that when the Lord comes through, we need to give him his due. Let's say that again out loud. When the Lord comes through, we need to give him his due. And Abraham and Sarah show us how to do it. They show us two appropriate ways to respond when God keeps his promises to us. So the first way is obey him. That's one way to give him his due. Obey him. Look what Abraham does in verse 3. It says, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Why did Abraham do that? Why did Abraham give him the name Isaac? Because a year before, when God had promised that the son would be born, God said, when he's born, I want you to give him the name Isaac. So that's what Abraham does. He obeys the Lord. He cooperates with the Lord and, and obeys him in naming the child. Back in chapter 17, verse 19, it says, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. He laughs. Because that's exactly what Abraham did when God said that this is what would happen. Abraham literally fell on his face laughing at the, the whole crazy idea that somebody as old as him and somebody as old as Sarah would have a child together after all these years. But then God came through. And Abraham honored God by naming his child as the Lord had instructed him. He named him Isaac. And not only that, but look at verse 4. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old. Why did Abraham do that? Because it's what God had commanded. God had said at that time a year before that when he came a year later that, that they would have a son and God said it was through that son, not through Ishmael, that all the covenant blessings would flow. Isaac would carry the legacy of producing that family through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He would be the one through whom Messiah would come. And on that occasion, when God made that promise, he also instituted a covenant of circumcision as a sign of, of that covenant. He commanded Abraham to be circumcised. He commanded Ishmael to be circumcised. He commanded that all the men in Abraham's household be circumcised. And it says they were circumcised that very day. And then God said in Genesis 17, verse 12, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations shall surely be circumcised. And now God has given this long-awaited precious son, and Abraham is giving God his due. And Abraham cooperates with God by giving the Lord his obedience. It says, and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. 
Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. You know, as we've seen in our study of Abraham's life, obedience is a prominent theme of his walk of faith. It's a compelling necessity of the walk of faith. Remember all the way back in chapter 12, God had said, I want you to get up and go to a land I will show you. And Abraham got up and went. So like every time God tells Abraham to do something, Abraham just does it. He obeys. So in chapter 12, he gets up and he goes to Canaan at God's command. In chapter 17, God says, I want you to be circumcised. I want Ishmael to be circumcised. I want all the men of your household to be circumcised. And they did it that very day, it said. And here, when the promised son is born, Abraham names him Isaac and circumcises him on the eighth day, just as God commanded him. Now, there's one more absolutely breathtaking act of obedience still to come in the next chapter, as we'll see next week. But suffice it to say that Abraham understood that whenever the Lord came through for him, the Lord deserved his obedience. Cooperating with the Lord, obeying the Lord, was only giving God his due. Have you given any thought recently to the notion that the Lord deserves your obedience? After the way he's come through for you, giving his son to die on the cross in your place, raising him from the dead so that you can have new life in him, giving you his Holy Spirit so you can live as you've never lived before, promising to prepare a place for you in heaven. Doesn't it only seem reasonable that you would give your life in obedience to him? Paul thinks so. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the apostle Paul put it this way. He said, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in light of all that God has done for you, in light of all the ways that God has come through for you, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, to give yourselves in obedience to him. This is your reasonable act of worship. It's only reasonable that you should do this in response to all that God has done for you. When God comes through for you, give him his due. Obey him. A guy named Craig had been an alcoholic for about 12 years, and he had lost everything. His wife, his son, his job. Uh, he... Uh, he, he was really in a bad place, but then things began, began to change pretty drastically after he gave his life to Christ. But he still, from time to time, fell back into his old habits, his old life. Because after he lost his well-paying job, the only job he could find was stocking shelves in a grocery store where they sold all of his favorite beverages. So it was just a little too tempting. And he went back and forth between Christ and the bottle, Christ and the bottle, and finally he decided he needed to make a clean break with, with his past and, and to live in Christ. And so as part of his act of obedience to that, that choice that he was making in his life, he quit his job at the grocery store. So he'd no longer have easy access to all those beverages. Well, with no income, and having only his hope in Christ, he was in a pretty desperate situation, penniless and, and almost without hope. But after an interview at a sheet metal company down the street from his new church, he cried out to the Lord and he said, God, if you give me this job, I will give you my first paycheck. Surprisingly, he got the job. 
He clearly remembers the day when he got that first paycheck. He still had a stack of bills needing to be paid. And, and he was penniless, but he was determined to endorse that check over to the church. And so he did so and walked over to the church office without even waiting for the Sunday offering. And he said it was this moment that changed his life because now he understood what it meant to fully trust God. The pastor who tells the story says that as of today, Craig has been sober for 25 years. He's the manager at that sheet metal company, and he serves now as an elder in his local church. When the Lord comes through, we need to give him his due. One of the ways we can do that is through our obedience. That's what Abraham's example shows us, and and Sarah's reaction to all of this shows yet another way to give God his due. We need to obey him and we need to worship him. We need to obey him and we need to worship him. Look at Sarah's reaction to the birth of Isaac. It's one of delight. She delights in what God has done for her. Verse 6, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears me will laugh over me. Now, a year before this, when she overheard God telling Abraham that she would have a son about this time next year, she laughed. And it must have been a laugh of, of disbelief because the Lord rebuked her and said, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now that God has come through for her and has done exactly what he had promised to do, Sarah finds herself laughing again, but this time it's a celebratory laugh. God has made laughter for me. In other words, the miraculous way in which God has fulfilled his promises has brought me joy and happiness and not just her she's telling others what the lord has done so that they too join in the celebration everyone who hears will laugh over me not laugh at me but laugh laugh over what god has done for me they they too will rejoice and she said in verse 7 who would have said to abraham that sarah would nurse children yet i have borne him a son in his old age by broadcasting what god has done for her she invites others to rejoice with her to join her in marveling at just how God has come through for her in such a spectacular way. Generations later, her worship would be echoed by another mother of a long-awaited son, Mary, who said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. When the Lord comes through for you, give Him His due. Celebrate what the Lord has done. Invite others to join you in declaring His greatness. I think of my friend Creed, that right after Rusty came to faith in Christ, Creed went around telling everybody who would listen. You know, Marion and I have been praying for that nephew for 30 years. And the Lord led me to go over to his house the other night, and I shared the good news with him yet again. And guess what? Rusty came to faith in Christ. But not just Rusty, but his whole family. Praise the Lord. And we did. We praised God along with Creed. It was, it was so incredible to watch Creed, so excited at, at how God had come through for him. He wanted to be sure to give God his due. And so should we. Whenever God comes through for you, give him your worship. Tell others what God has done so that they will rejoice along with you and will give praise to God. When God comes through, 
we need to give him his due. To obey him like Abraham, to worship him like Sarah. Just make sure you give God his due. In the classic Broadway production of Raisin in the Sun, a church-going African-American mother struggles to keep two adult children on track. And in one of the memorable scenes of that play, the mother is confronted by her daughter's angry skepticism. And the daughter states in defiance, Mama, you don't understand. It's all a matter of ideas. And God is one idea I just don't accept. There simply is no God. With dignity and strength, this faithful mother who has seen God at work in her life goes up to her skeptical daughter, gets right in her face, and says to her, I want you to repeat after me. In my mother's house, there is still God. And the daughter pauses and then quietly honors her mother's affirmation of faith, and she repeats, in my mother's house, there is still God. There was a mama who knew how to give God his due. Amen. And may that be our legacy too. Let's pray. Father, we are here today to acknowledge that you have done great things for us. We stand in awe of you. We stand in awe of your son and the gift of his life on the cross that redeems us from sin and gives us life anew with Christ. We stand in awe of the, the many things you do in our lives, daily lives, day after day. We see your hand of provision. And yet we confess that all too often we don't stop and give you your due. Sometimes you do something great in our lives and, well, we take credit for it. Or sometimes you do something great in our lives and we, we barely pause to say a word of thanks, let alone let anyone else know what you've done. Lord, I pray that you would send us from this place today with our eyes wide open to see you at work in our lives, that whenever you come through for us, that we would be quick to give you your due that we would live lives of obedience, that we would live lives of worship, that we would acknowledge you as the, the way maker, the promise keeper, the, the light in the darkness that you are. Lord, may you be glorified as we go into this new week, giving you all the glory you deserve. Through Jesus, in whose name we pray, Amen.